within Christianity, marriage seems like this option, like, mm, yeah, take it or leave it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're seeing the fruit of that mindset. Let's look at the life of Paul. He was not married, and he, in fact, make, makes comments to indicate that that's actually a higher, spiritually, a higher calling to be an apostle, to be a missionary for Christ. But he's not like, oh, I'm going to get married later, or I'm going to just like find myself. It's like, no, I'm given this commission to go spread the gospel. There is this framework where I think we've forgotten that there is a calling for people to be totally committed to Christ in that way and to possibly be celibate and to commit themselves to that. And then on the other hand, look, here's the other thing. If you are burning with desire and you, you know, th this is this is what the framework for marriage is. Howdy folks, welcome back to the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed the interview that you are about to listen to with Skylar Creston. Skylar has become a friend of mine and he's local to this community. And he really, I feel like, is an example of somebody living out Christian values and it going noticed. I, I just noticed Skylar first a couple years back when we were working in the same co-working space and I noticed him bringing his kids to work with him and he handled himself differently. And from that point forward, I wanted to get to know this guy. I wanted to talk to him. And of course, I've been able to do that since then. And so I was really grateful that he was willing to take the time and come on the podcast, share some of his story with you. So many insights from this conversation uh, that I got, and I know you'll get many as well. I'm going to read a quick bio about Skylar, and then of course you're going to be able to hear more detail, uh, more in detail about his life from him. So Skylar Crescent and his wife of 17 years have six children whom they homeschool. He is the founder and CEO of Archer Strategic Advisors, a specialized CPA firm, CPA firm, offering high-value tax accounting advisory services resulting in unmatched performance. He is a director for the Society for American Civic Renewal and knows more about G.K. Chesterton than anyone I've ever met. That This is kind of a bio I, read for, I, I wrote for him. It's not like something that he wrote, you know, about himself. Uh, but I, I really am excited about this interview. And before we dive into it, I do want to let you know that as of right now, as of today, my favorite marriage coaches of all time are are launching a product on now that we're a family.com Chad and Janice Johnson, my mother and father-in-law have created a marriage program for you, for anybody it's online. It's available to anybody in the entire world and it's now launching. So go over to now that we're a family.com forward slash marriage maximizer. I'll link it below and you can learn more about, about what everything that that has to offer. And I've never been more excited about being able to offer a, a product here on now that we're a family. And so head over and check out the marriage maximizer course that my mother and father-in-law, Chan Janice Johnson put together. They are literally, they're my favorite marriage coaches of all time. So I know you'll love it. You can go learn some more in the link below, but other than that, you can enjoy this episode. The now that we're a family. All right. Well, Skylar, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I already gave our listeners kind of a brief intro as to who you are. But to tell you the truth, I want to hear from your mouth what you tell people. You know, when when you bump into a friend, sure. you know, I mean, you just mentioned you're getting ready to go down to California. I'm sure you'll see some old friends. What's What do you tell people you're doing these days? Yeah, well, I mean, f from a family life perspective, you know, I married my high school sweetheart, so we've uh, we've had... Uh, nice 17 years of marriage together and you know we uh originally from southern california um 
and uh, move up here to North Idaho in uh, late 2020, so September 2020, and uh, yeah, got uh, uh, five boys, one girl, and you know, uh, we uh, we're very um, fortunate to have a uh, mix of different uh, temperaments, strengths, abilities, and so that also makes it so we're very motivated to uh, homeschool, which has been a really great thing for us. Um, we are sending our oldest to a uh, classical high school that we helped found here in North Idaho uh, that just started this last fall. But, um, you know, we've we've basically, from start to finish, homeschooled everybody else, and we intend to keep doing so for the first eight years of life. Professionally, I'm a CPA. I'm a tax advisor. I have a tax advisory practice that I uh, launched um, not too long after I moved up here. So um, and employ a couple of people in the area and, and then still have an employee down in Southern California as well. And so, yeah, just kind of trying to uh, do everything I can to make this community a better place and, you know, do as much as I can from both an economic perspective and then also a cultural and institutional perspective uh, while also guarding the home as well and, you know, our family culture. Wow. I mean, just everything you just said is gets me fired up, inspires me, just even that last statement, you know, trying to make as much of an impact as you can in the local community while protecting and nurturing and really, I guess, making sure that the family flourishes and grows. And I didn't realize that your ratio is five boys to one girl. So you're a strong boy family and we're, Katie and I are pregnant with our fourth boy. And so we're going to be a four to one ratio and yep. pretty strong boy family, yep. which honestly, I don't know if I ever envisioned myself being, you know, the, the boy dad, but so far I've loved it. I feel like yep. in so many ways, I get to, I get to like relive my childhood, you know, through. Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up with any brothers, so it's, uh, they're getting a very different experience, uh, uh, my boys. So, but it makes, as they get older, you know, I've heard families that are more girl heavy, there's a lot more help around the house in terms of chores without haranguing the yes. boys. Yes. <laughs> so that is one major difference, but, uh, but they're a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I think that was one of, one of my friends when we first started having kids, he said, you need to have a girl as soon as possible. He goes, there's so much help around the house. I was like, okay, well I'll do what I can yeah. you know, to try to get that, to get the girl as soon as possible. God willing. Yeah. So I, I've loved, you know, getting to see you here and there. And I feel like I've more observed you from a distance than gotten to know you, you know, very personally. Sure. And Anybody that I bring you up to, whether it's locally, they only have good things to, to say about you. And even when you're saying you really want to affect the community in a positive way, protect the culture of your home, I feel like that's got to be the desire of so many, hopefully, so many Christian parents' hearts. Yeah, They're thinking, okay, I want to engage. I want to raise up children that are capable of engaging and having an impact in society. Yep. But at the same time, this thing, the home unit, this the, the family unit— there is something to also protecting that because right. we've seen it go the other way. I mean, it's, it's pretty terrible that that the whole pastor's kid, the PK, the stigma around that yeah. is not healthy at all. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite of, oh, if you're taking care of the, the flock, meaning the church or you're out doing ministry or right. out in the world, right. that it, it's usually associated with neglecting the home. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually just talking to a friend this morning about this very issue and uh, the way we put it is, you know, if you if you make your identity primarily tied up and your activities and, and your sole focus tied up with your church community as the source of your identity, that's where you run into problems because, number one, you're neglecting the true foundation of how your, 
you should perpetuate the faith and really create a healthy culture. Number two, if that church goes away, or if there's a scandal, or if some people at the church are in some way, shape, or form not acting in a charitable manner... That would never happen. That would never happen in church communities, no. Uh, Then you're devastated. And so you need to have that foundation of the family culture as your number one thing. And then like-minded families around you who are on the same page about family culture as the kind of foundation of your community. And that may or may not have a total correspondence with your church community. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Like hopefully it's, you can find a church community that is very aligned right. with your beliefs and values, but you also can't depend or count That's right. on that necessarily. That's right. I even think of my own experience growing up and I, I loved my childhood, loved my parents and just so grateful for the role that they've played in my life and continue to play. But we jumped, not, I shouldn't say jumped, like it was an irresponsible jumping from church to church or sure. like, it wasn't anything like that, but we were part of different homeschool organizations. We were part of different churches, but the constant was, was my dad was the leader of our home. Right. He was our counselor, our protector, our provider. Right. You know, he was the, the person overseeing our spiritual development throughout all of that. And, yeah. he, and it's pretty cool that there was that consistency all the way through yeah. and that brings stability. So when you, I've heard you talk a little bit about kind of this mindset around almost treating your home like a business or the economy of the home. And I love that language. I've talked about it a bit on this podcast already, but I don't know if you can kind of expand upon that. Yeah. Yeah, So I wouldn't necessarily say treating your home as a, or your household as a business per se, but treating your household as a household economy, treating your family as a household economy. And it's almost, it almost has more of a political nature to it Hmm. than it does just purely a business nature because you know, with, with business, you're dealing, you know, directly with the public, you know, that sort of thing. And so I would say it's a little bit more of an intimate thing. And um, the household economy that I talk about is really what provides a sense of common purpose for the household to be productive together towards some common goal. Hmm. Now, that may be business-oriented, and that would be great if it is. But it may also not be business-oriented. It may be related to something you're doing charitably. Mm -hmm. It may be related to something you're doing with respect to ministry. It may be related to something you're doing with art. Anything, Any of those things, it may not correspond to, strictly speaking, we're offering a product. But at the same time, uh, it is nonetheless productive uh, in the deepest sense of the word. You know, I think of that, and I love you explaining that, because it's not just got this... um it's not like commerce. You're not like, okay, we've got to have our, what's our family product or service that we're offering. And we go out there and make, make money. Although family businesses are awesome. And I think it's a great thing to be able to pursue, but you talk about, um, engaging in a mission, maybe your purpose around ministry or around music. You know, I grew up in a family band. That was something that was just, it was a core part of our culture. You know, it's like we played music together. We all took lessons and play together, played it together. Um, but when I look around, you know, it's, it's crazy to even say Christian culture because I would say, what, whether you call it mainstream Christian, whatever, the, you know, big, big evangelical, whatever the, the term is that you want to use. Sure. What I see being promoted is this pursuit of individualistic ideals and Absolutely. goals right. when it comes to your children. In fact, people are taught like they need to have their own identity, their own individual purpose and and, yeah. and skill set or passion project and doesn't seem well, speak to that is that are you saying oh. you're not doing that or is what is how does that fit totally into that? not doing that and that's totally a modern contemporary unfortunate 
you know, effect of kind of our atomized, um, you know, individualistic culture. Uh, the whole idea that you should send your children off at age 18 to go find themselves and go to college and all this stuff is just totally contrary to how you build a sustainable culture that's rooted in one place and that actually really can comprehensively uh, provide for the cultural grounding for the good practices and habits and growth and virtue that needs to be promoted. So on the contrary, the assumption should be that your children stay with the family enterprise, if, if possible. They should contribute to the family culture as much as possible. They should stay connected as much as possible. And uh, by the way, we should be aiming for, assuming children are well-formed, we should be aiming for young marriage and family formation as well. Amen. None of which is achieved by sending people away to sow their oats. Yeah, it's funny when I think about, um, I don't know if it's funny, it's interesting when I think about some of the uh, young adult conferences I went to, or even high school conferences I'd go to as, yeah. a, as a young Christian, maybe unintentionally diminish the value of marriage. Right. And I think that that's come to a, a place in our culture now where within Christianity, marriage seems like this option, like, mm, yeah. take it or leave it, yeah. wait a long time, maybe, maybe, maybe kids, maybe not kids. Right. And it, unfortunately, we're seeing the fruit of that mindset. Right. And you know who you know who's is pursuing the family? Secularism. Mm. Paganism. Mm. They're saying we want a family, you know, we it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a, a heterosexual relationship, you can still be a family. Oh, sure. Does that They've make totally sense? totally changed the definition of what a family is. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, so I say that all to say, how does that look in your home because you already mentioned at the beginning, and I'm yeah. talking way too much and I want to yeah. pass it over to you, but you mentioned at the beginning, you've got different temperaments in your home. Yeah. You've got different personalities. And so you're what you're not raising a bunch of clones, sounds like, no. that to say, hey, you all have to be CPAs right. within the family enterprise. We're all going to do this. So what does that look like? Today we get to share something with you guys that is so exciting. We've been working on it behind the scenes for the past couple months, and that is we are launching Marriage Maximizer, which is an online marriage program that we've partnered with my parents to create. My parents have been married for 30 years. Over that time, they have been coaching other couples when it comes to marriage for the last 15 years. And I cannot think of a marriage that I respect more than my parents' marriage, which is kind of crazy when you think that I grew up in their home where they had 11 biological kids and I got to watch how they worked through disagreements. I got to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I just respect them more and more and more. Yeah, since before Katie and I were married, Chad and Janice have been our favorite marriage coaches or, or marriage mentors. And as time's gone on and I've gotten to know them more and see more of the fruit from their marriage and from their lives, I've only grown in the admiration and respect that I have for them. So to be able to partner with them and create Marriage Maximizer as a now that we're a family product, honestly, is kind of humbling. And But beyond that, I'm just pumped. Like I'm really excited that we get to be associated with Chad and Janice, that we get to offer this product to you because it is so valuable. Katie and I use these resources, these tools, these frameworks, and these mindsets every single day. They have been the most helpful things 
for our marriage. And so we're so grateful that we get to offer them to you in this online space. And so be sure to check the link below. You'll see all the details there. Katie, is there anything else they need to know? Well, I just want you to know this is a very vulnerable course when we thought about who we wanted to speak to marriage to our audience and someone that we could completely back and get behind. We thought of my parents, um, just their vulnerability and their realness. You are going to laugh with them on this. You're going to also watch a lot of tears as they talk about really hard times in their marriage and um, struggles with pornography and struggles with biblical roles and miscommunication and, you know, having six kids and living in a tent in a trailer they get really raw about the ups and downs the highs and lows in their marriage and then the tools and resources that they used starting with scripture and then building out practical ways to implement that scripture in their marriage um, that not only gave them a thriving marriage that they're grateful to be a part of it I'm grateful um, to be the the recipient yeah, of that factor yeah, yeah the blessing of that um, but also what has helped them coach hundreds and hundreds of couples over the last 10 to 15 years so regardless of what your background is i think you're going to be so encouraged by this program up until this point my parents have only coached newlyweds or had a super high-end marriage retreat that is close to $6,000 to attend. So neither of those are really great options for people like us who are young and we feel like we want that input. Again, we wanna be able to revisit all these things, especially in this season of having young kids and creating the foundation for our family. Um, and so we not only get to access this content now um, when we need it for support in our marriage, but also we get to give that to you guys. So super, super excited to be able to do that. And actually tomorrow night, my parents are doing a live Q&A on creating a masterpiece marriage. So not only is the link to enroll linked down below, but also there will be a link to jump on that Q&A if you guys want to meet them in person, if you want to ask questions specific to your marriage or ask them anonymously, um, there's a link to register for that down below. It's going to be Wednesday, 6.30 at well, Pacific Standard Time. At Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs>So I think this might be a good segue into, um, you know, uh, some differences maybe in how we think of vocations. Um, if you go back to St. Paul, and this is and this is in Corinthians chapter one or uh, one seven, um, uh, he he basically First Corinthians seven, he basically lays out you know what what Christian marriage is, and he has a few commentary a little commentary about that and to your point about the single people or about people going on missionary work that sort of thing let's look at the life of paul so paul was celibate right he was not married and he in fact make, makes comments to indicate that that's actually a higher spiritually a higher calling to be an apostle to be a missionary for Christ. And so, but he's not like, oh, I'm going to get married later, or I'm going to just like find myself. It's like, no, I'm given this commission to go spread the gospel, even to the point of death, which he is martyred eventually. And so there is this framework um, where I think we've forgotten that uh, there is a calling for people to be totally committed to Christ in that way, and to possibly be celibate, and to commit themselves to that. And then on the other hand, what does he say in that First Corinthians passage? He says, look, 
here's the other thing. Um, if you are, you know, burning with desire and you, you know, this is, this is what the framework for marriage is. And so these are both callings. They both have their own elevated and sanctified way of expressing themselves within the Christian, um, tradition. And so with respect to my own children, that's really the discernment. It's, is, are, are you called to marriage and family life? In which case, staying close to family, you know, getting integrated into the community as much as possible, and actually finding a spouse as young as possible that you can spend the rest of your life with and be committed with in the generation and education of children. Um, that's the ideal. And so keeping them around for that and keeping them, getting them on a more practically oriented path is awesome. On the other hand, if I have some boys who are called to um, actually go out and and really commit their lives completely to Christ, then I do think that that entails um, um, probably some some education theologically, some something that that entails um, basically an apostolate for them to be able to actually express that vocation. And so that's kind of how I view it. And we should probably uh, mention to your viewers or listeners, I am, I am Catholic. So Whoa. that is uh that is a enshrined calling within the church is the, uh, is the priestly order, which is, which is celibate following St. Paul. So, yeah. And I would even say, and of course, you know, we've got many traditional Catholic listeners and I think something that's yeah. really, uh, I've, I've grown to respect you and I've actually had this kind of affinity towards some of the traditional Catholic um, ideals and values is because over recent years, much of uh, evangelicalism has become quiet and very inactive, right? When it comes to things pertaining to this physical world. Right. And some of my favorite theologians, pastors, you name it, come 2020, we're just silent. And I think there was a bunch of wandering Christians saying like, okay, like we got to think we have to think something about what's going on in society, yeah. you know, and, and, and people saying, Hey, just preach Jesus, just preach the gospel became a little confusing. We're saying, mm. okay, yeah, you look at what Jesus taught, what he preached, you look at the whole of God's word and they talk about physical things. And this led me to this path of, you know, I've, I've been listening to a lot of the Presbyterian reform Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. And I was just t- joking about this with Katie. I was thinking, you know, the three different groups of people, Christian from Christian tradition that, uh, I've been learning a lot from are uh, Reformed Presbyterians, uh, traditional Catholics, and then these charismatics that are actually getting out and doing stuff, right? Yeah. And of course, I've got theological differences with all of them mm-hmm. when it comes to the roots and the foundations of my faith, doctor- doctrinal differences. Sure. But I find so much encouragement and help from the practical application of of their faiths, of their traditions, of sure. doing things in the in the home. In the right. family, being right. able to say something is wrong and something's right—it's mm-hmm. bizarre to me how that's become such a foreign thing in the evangelical space. Yeah, of saying, well, you know, maybe it's not such a good thing that Roe versus Wade was overturned. And I'm thinking, okay, if we can't call that right. <laughs> a good thing, yeah, is anything good? Anyways, so thanks for saying that, and I and I would you can mention this too. You can say your thoughts on this, the the First Corinthians chapter seven passage. I would argue that's a minority that are called to celibacy. Yeah, to the eunuch for Christ. That is not the normative, right? And I I don't know if that's how you view yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, that's yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's better but, to marry than to burn, right? And I'd say okay, well, I'd say that's a high percentage 
For sure. Of Christians. For sure. And I feel like you probably can identify that pretty early in your life. Yeah, I would, I would say so. I mean, I, I would say probably the situation, at least in the Catholic Church, is that it historically was that there were a lot more that, that did choose that path and that were called, and that the whole, everything that happened in the 1960s and 70s and, you know, just kind of the cultural revolution that happened then just made people kind of fall off from even considering that mm. as a possible path. Mm. And so we're, we're kind of getting back to the point where people are actually now considering it. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I think that in general, you know, the, the call of Christians is to mortify the flesh, mm. right? We are, we are called to mortify the flesh, and although it's a natural and good thing to, you know, be in a marital union, that sort of thing, at the same time, you know, just like the practice of fasting and abstinence and that sort of thing, th- those are all practices that, that are just woven throughout the entire tradition mm. that are good practices to incorporate. And so the question of celibacy, you know, it's like, that's just a, uh, that's just part and parcel with that, that overall picture of you know, fleshly mortification, uh, mortifying our fleshly desires, you know, um, or putting them in their right place. So, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is something that I've heard a change in, in the tone, at least in the people that I listen to around sexual sin around sin Mm -hmm. is they've almost given up hope Mm. as though like, Hey, you know what? Maybe you can manage it. So for instance, growing up in conservative environments and I can't speak I can't say I was perfect and people are, I mean, I'm well aware of my sin and my shortcomings, Sure, you know, and my wife is too, you know, and my parents are too. But the way people talk now about pornography or mm. sexual sin mm-hmm. is as though it's kind of this given, like, right. You can't like, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to see total freedom in this area. Right. And I, that's contrary to, again, I I can't say I've walked in perfection in this area. But sure. I have experienced true victory right. in this area. And I know many people that have. Right. It's it's one of these things where it's like, like, why are we saying that we can't actually have self-control when that's what we're given in the fruits of the spirit? Right. Right. And it says yeah. that we have that we are buried with Christ, you know, that we're dead to sin. We're we've been given all things pertaining to the life of godliness and this ability to walk not in sinless perfection. And that's not something that I adhere to. I think we are always dependent on the grace of grace of God. Mm-hmm covering our insufficiency and our ability to walk mm-hmm. in, um, in perfection. But when it become when it comes to these besetting sins that are rampant in culture, right. The, to me, the expectation as Christians should be, yeah, of, of course, that's 99% of the world is doing this and we are not of the world. We're, we're told fornication is something to be abhorred and to run from pornography should be abhorred. Not, right. Not something that's kind of like, well, Hey, you shouldn't do this because look at what's happening to the brain. You know, scientifically, this is really bad, and it's like no. crack cocaine. And you're thinking, no, it's a sin. That's why we don't do it. Yeah, and it should be a fruit of cooperation with grace that there is a, a progressive sanctification that occurs through that cooperation. There you with go. God's cooperation, grace. grace. I knew I was going to get to that. No, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. What do you mean by that? Oh, what I mean is that you know, if you're if you're in a in a place where you're truly st- you know, you're truly open to the operation of God's grace in yes. your life, you, and you're and you're open to that. That's what's going to be able to operate within you to create the sanctification that occurs over time. Amen. And we should be able to expect that. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you think of coming to Christ. the The thought that your physical life wouldn't change 
is really a strange thing to me. Right. And when I look at practical Christian living, it seems like people are scared of legalism, which um, is, is not good. Legalism is not a good thing. But some of this I find interesting is that, you know, when people talk about the Pharisees, so people say, oh, they're legalistic, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, they're actually called hip- hypocrites. They weren't called legalists necessarily. Right. Basically saying what they were promoting wasn't a bad thing. What was bad is that they weren't living up to that said thing. Right. And they weren't conforming to the spirit of it. They were just, you know. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So when you're raising your kiddos, you've got a 16-year-old. Is that a son? Yep. Okay. So your oldest is a son. We live in this world where things like technology, it's just assumed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if anything, it's, it's hard to picture living in a functional way without yeah. some relationship with technology. Yeah. And yet that is a pitfall. I mean, I think of, we, we already mentioned pornography we don't even, even need to speak specifically to that, but I know that just being a huge thing yeah. is a, a phone, an iPhone technology. Right. How have you navigated that as a father? Yeah. Well, first of all, we've, we've never, um, our kids have never had smartphones. So my 16 year old doesn't have a smartphone. He, ha- he does have a flip phone usually leaves it at home because he's, oh nice. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you already knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I already knew that, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he has a flip phone, you know, very low tech, um, hardly ever uses it. You know, one of the things that really motivated us in, in the, the high school that we helped to, to found was just the complete absence of technology in classroom instruction um, or even allowed on campus at all. There are, there are no cell phones even allowed um, if it's if they're ever seen, they're immediately confiscated. Mm. That I don't think that's really happened yet. But yeah. anyway, they, I think they might actually turn them in upon arrival um, to the front desk. Yes. So, um, so yeah. I, and then at home, you know, we don't have a TV. We want to limit screen time in terms of that. We do have, you know, like a few laptops, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. We have um, a software called Canopy that okay. we use for that. That's basically it's kind of like the the best in class, in my opinion, in terms of protecting you know, um, from online stuff, bad stuff yes. online, because yes. not only can you do things like whitelists and block sites, but it also through its own software, if you install it, if you do an image search or there's an ad that pops up, if that ad is in any way suggestive or, or the image search, it will just proactively block the display of it. So you can't, wow. there's really very little you can do yeah. to get around it. So it's not um, even just reactive where it's like no. you get your report, like nope. I think Covenant Eyes or something like that. You get Correct. the report. It's actually, like you said, proactively right. in real time. Right. Yeah, modifying. Right. And then aside from that, it's just they don't they don't have much time to be able to engage in this. Like nobody's, you know, we live in a historic home here in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And, you know, it's not a huge home. And um, we we like it that way because we want the family to be super connected all the time. And we don't want our 16 year old to have his own room way back on the other side of the house where he can be, you know, closing and locking the door, that sort of thing. Yes. So, um, you know what? I love the practicality of that. It's, I was just talking to, it was actually my brother. He's got done building a house and, and a beautiful home, you know, plenty of square footage, but he made the kids rooms small. Right. And he has a boy's room and a girl's room and people are asking, well, what are you doing? He's, he's like, well, I don't want my kids hanging out in their rooms right. by themselves. Right. You know, I don't want this to be a place of retreat or for them to be able to be reclusive in any way. And I just love the, that's a very practical thing. Yeah. You know, set up your home so that it's more likely to be together. 
Right. You know, pro- physically, like to, for that proximity. Right. Wow. Yeah. And then the other thing too is just creating a, creating a positive experience with the things that are good that are not, you know, just the typical media entertainment, that sort of thing. And so, you know, my son's really taken to classical guitar. He loves it. You know, he plays for the family. Mm. You know, my other son, they've, my other son does, uh, does cello and they've, you know, so kind of, you know, kind of getting to the, I'm sure nothing like what your family was growing up, but you know, still that's a big, that's a big part of, you know, our family culture. And then not only that, but, you know, exposing them to the films that we think truly are worthy of elevating to, Hey, this is, this is a great film that shows great principles. And it's also really well made that sort of thing. And creating kind of a contempt for the popular culture, uh, instantiations of, a lot of entertainment and media because yes. they'll see the contrast between those things. Yes. If you, if you see a really well-made film, you listen to music that's really well done, then everything, you know, that's in contemporary society will just seem really lame in comparison. So, yeah, I mean, I think of that just, yeah, and that's such a good point. I think I'll turn it into a TikTok. No, I'm joking. Being <laughs> ironic there with the point of long, you know, quality entertainment versus right. cheap TikTok type stuff. Right. And, Here's my here's my question to that, okay? Because I yep. I love everything you just said. However, okay, this is something that I really want to be conscientious of as I'm raising children. You know, mm-hmm. my my youngest is six, so ten years, you know, behind where you're at with your kiddos. Um, and this is a common question: they're going to be exposed to stuff, right? Like this is they say this is inevitable. People say it's inevitable. You go you go you go in the world, you're going to go and you're going to see things that. You, sure. you wouldn't choose to see. Right. And do all of these boundaries or these strict guidelines prevent you as a parent or prevent the child from getting to the, you know, the heart, the heart of the issue, mm. you know, that we talked about the Pharisees not having, how does that look? Yeah. Well, so one of the things we do is we, we subscribe to a lot of print publications and, uh, the wall street journal, you know, so we get the paper wall street journal on mm. a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. And just that alone just kind of gives an indication of things going on in the world. Yes. Wall Street Journal is not, is at best neutral. You know, it's mm-hmm. like got all sorts of headlines about, hey, there's a, there's a, uh, you know, any of the social issues that yes. you would find uncomfortable that's covered in that newspaper. Yes. And so when I have my, my 13 year old or 14 year old now and 16 year old boys reading that on a daily basis, they're getting exposed to it. Yes. It's getting exposed to it though in a, in a context where it's, okay, it's, it's, written, you know, it's just stated matter of fact, this is yes. what's going on. And so then that generates conversations about any number of topics. Wow. I also subscribe to some other magazines like First Things, for example, which, you know, is a uh, is an ecumenical Christian um, journal of politics that's um, out of New York City that, you know, it just tackles all sorts of, you know, yeah. social issues that are, um, you know, facing society right now. And so I, we don't shy away at all about discussing a lot of this stuff, and we don't shy, shy away at all about the agenda of you know a lot of what's being pushed out there. And um, also, we live in downtown Coeur d'Alene, so you know that in and of itself, just walking around and observing, hey, this is what some other people look like. This mm-hmm. is what other people are doing. This is what this flag means. Yep. You know. Um, is is an opportunity for conversation. Yeah, so. it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys live like in the one corner, li- liberal corner of Coeur d'Alene <laughs> over there, <laughs> which is which is great. I'm glad you guys are over there having an impact. I think that's really helpful to hear because something that I've 
heard a lot of Christians advocate is what I would consider, you know, rated R content in the median of literature, movies, mm. whatever, and justified it saying, hey, not, none of this is worse than what the Bible talks about, right? Mm. The, 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 the violence, the sexual sin, the you know, debauchery of yeah. the Bible. Yeah. But I'm like, well, yeah, but it's not displayed yeah. in this way. Like, it's not matter of fact. I think they're gonna, that would be disturbing for, for young kids. Um, now, for my older boys, seeing movies that are a little bit more violent, I'm okay with that, sure. you know? Um, but that being said, there's plenty of stuff out there that has great content and themes that doesn't have that level of violence. You know, we have a tradition every um, uh, Easter of watching Ben Hur, for nice. example. Yeah. You know, all the, the and the younger kids watch it too. And yep. there's some intense moments and stuff in there. It's it's very entertaining. Right. Um, but it's not at the level of you know, first of all, anything sexual. Yes. Second of all. Uh, there's just the gratuitous gore, that yes. sort of stuff. Like, I just don't see any reason to. No, yeah, and I think the point that I was making is that when it's talked about in the Bible, it's ta- it's not glamorized. Right. It's not you don't have this descriptive writer whose skill set is to make you picture every little minute detail. You know that maybe is is a written out in a romance novel yeah. or in a violent. It's like no. He said, especially when you're reading old, you know, I read King James version of my kids and it says, yeah, and so-and-so laid with so, you know, lied with so-and-so, you know, or, right. or he knew his wife and you're thinking, okay, that's matter of fact, right? You know, the people are able to write about that or display that on a screen in a way that is way more of an explicit stumbling block than yeah. you're reading about it in the Bible. Totally. So to, totally I agree. feel like it's, it's not a good excuse. Does that right. make sense? Right. To expose your kids to terrible content. So as you're homeschooling your kiddos, when you look at equipping them for engaging mm-hmm. in civic society and, and their own families, do you kind of have some core tenants that you're looking for? Because you've already mentioned, you know, you, you're a CPA, you mm-hmm. know, which we could talk about, I'm sure here, here in a bit. What are you looking for in your kids to have them equipped to not yeah. that we ever stop growing, but you're right. thinking, Oh, when they're 18, I want the, to have these mindsets, these skill sets, these values. What does that like look like for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I want them to be able to, to, to your point about exposing them to what's going on in the world. I want them to have a good knowledge of what generally is going on. I, I'm, we're not sheltering them, mm-hmm. you know, getting them, getting the news, the daily newspaper, us talking about stuff, you know, that's, that's a big deal for me. So being, basically aware of, you know, the state we're in as a society, I think is a really big deal and being able to anticipate, you know, the fact that there are people out there who have radically different values and views in you and you're going to encounter them. And this is what their motivations are, um, I think is really important. Um, in terms of other aspects, in terms of their, um, their faith and, you know, this, their development personally, I mean, we made a commitment to, you know, them starting to work pretty, pretty early. Um, so, you know, when we moved here, my, I got my, my son was 14 at the time. He got a job at the, at a diner that's walking distance from our house. Cool. And so he's a, he was a busboy there and, you know, learned a lot, uh, yeah. from, from doing that work and how to interact with people and adults of various different, you know, um, backgrounds, et cetera. Um, my other son has an internship right now who he's 14, you know, doing some software development work. You know, so getting work experience when you're, you know, in those uh, teen years, early teen years, I think is really important yes. for, the, for that preparation for adulthood. Hmm. Um, and then as far as just kind of um, the faith, I mean, really 
that's when you make your faith your own, really, ideally, mm-hmm. is in those teen years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, being able to have regular, difficult one-on-one conversations about what that means, I think, is really important. Um, so setting aside the time to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that kind of sums it up as far as the, the broad strokes. So. Yeah, and when I think of that, those hard conversations, um, which I feel like is just such an integral piece of discipleship within yeah. your home, uh, there's got to be opportunity for it. You know, I think sometimes, at least in my experience, it's it's hard growing up with a father that was very intentional and had a lot of those conversations. It's not like my dad, you know, said, okay, 530, we're going to have a hard conversation, you know, or like, mm. hey, come to me with all the things you're questioning or you need to confess or you're feeling guilty about. It was very, I needed the opportunity. You know, it was right riding in the truck with him when, when he was going to work and running errands and finally getting up the gumption or the nerve to ask right. questions or to, you know, bring something up, confess something. And this is something that I really have admired about you from afar is your boys are when your kid, you're, they're doing life with you mm-hmm. from what I can, from what I can see. Meaning I don't, I, I don't know. And, and I see you a lot because I don't, I don't think I mentioned this before. The, there's this co-working space that I was a part of and you had an office kind of, you know, you still do, I think rented, you know, off to the side of this co-working space. So I would see you a lot and I still do see you a lot in the, in the area, in the community. And you almost always have a child with you, one of your kiddos. And yeah. I admire that big time. When I think about just doing life with my kids, that presenting the opportunity for conversation, is that something, you know, doing life with your kids, having them come to work with you, is that something that was modeled to you? You got the idea, you were able just to do it because of your career, or is it something that, you know, you had to really, I I, I guess, how did that come to to pass? I should, I should just ask. Right. Well, it actually was something that I had to intentionally incorporate into our life, my life because of the fact that my starting off my career, you know, I had a, I had kind of a rough time in the sense that I was, you know, if anyone knows anything about doing work as a CPA, public accounting, you know, my, my life after I graduated with my, my bachelor's was, you know, pretty limited in terms of family time because I was working a ton of overtime and sweatshop. Yeah. So, so it was, it was really bad. So I actually implemented fairly early on what I called breakfast days. And so those would be days where I would, you know, twice a week I'd on rotation, take one of the kids out just one-on-one get up early. Let's go have breakfast, maybe go on a walk together and just have that time to be able to kind of, you know, uh, debrief with one another and talk to one another and, you know, ask them how they're doing. And so I've continued it all this, all, all these years. And wow. so, um, and then owning my own business, you know, that's really opened up the opportunity and then living within walking distance to my office, <laughs> you know, being able to go back and forth to the, to the home. I mean, that's, those are all factors in this. So. Wow. And did that, did that, did family, when you, when you were making these decisions, cause I guess I'm curious as to how this intentionality has come to be because, you can you feel those things you just said, starting your own business, living close to your office, walking distance. Uh, those are things that did those happen coincidentally? Or were you thinking, hmm, I want to start my own business because of the family. I want to have a home that's close to my office. Yeah. Because those are great things to, I think, you can retroactively say that's pretty cool. But I, that's a cool thing to shoot for. No, it was intentional for sure. Yes, that yeah. makes sense. And was this something that you were exposed to at an early age or what? What was your experience growing up? Yeah, you know? I mean, to a certain extent, to a certain extent. My dad did own, own his own business, um, and he did have, he, it, was a, it was a custom cabinetry shop, so 
Um, and so it was about a, just a mile away from our house. So that was really nice. And, uh, he would, you know, sometimes come home for lunch and sometimes I'd go to a shop and, you know, so there was a lot of that going mm -hmm. on. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would say, you know, that, that was kind of like seen as the norm in, in many ways. Yes. Um, and it was always something where I knew that, you know, this, this kind of close relationship between the household and work, you know, was always kind of implicitly there, hmm. uh, even if it wasn't explained to me, if yes. that makes sense. Yeah. And, and what is this dynamic like with you and your wife? When I think of getting on the same page as, as Kate, my wife, Katie, mm -hmm. how crucial that is to the flow of the home, you know, like, yeah. it's like, it's one thing if you're, you know, you don't want to be a two headed snake here right. you know, with two different visions. How has this conversation gone with your wife? Cause she's seeing probably a different side of the home than you are, you know? And right. how do you guys stay connected and keep that vision and, and aligned? Yeah. Well, early on in our marriage, we, we implemented, uh, once a week date nights. Nice. So non-negotiable every week we get away for two or three hours, go out to dinner, you know, spend time together. So that's, you know, one way we are definitely on the same page. And if yes. things ever come up with respect to, you know, household stuff or my business, it's just a, a great opportunity to have that time set aside to talk about those, those issues. Um, you know, aside from that, I mean, we just talk pretty consistently about kind of what our, our values are and mm -hmm. ideals are. And I actually really um, admire, my, my wife actually pushed us several years ago to really write down a family mission statement mm. and uh, to actually make that instantiated in kind of the prioritization process of what we were going to do regularly with our time. Mm. And so having, having that in mind, always in the back of our minds as this is what our family's mission is, um, I think is, is also a huge deal. Wow. So. And is that something that is being revised as time goes on? You're thinking we want to make this more clear. We want to take this out or is it, is it being morphed or is it something that's just kind of set in stone? I mean, I, I don't, I think we could, we could in theory amend it. Um, sure. <laughs> it's, it's served us well for now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. You know, I feel like that's such a cool thing. And you've said so many things that you say, and it, when you say it, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, set aside a time multiple times a week to connect with your kids for breakfast or, right. you know, to, to, to solidify that weekly date night, um, or to just be intentional with family, you know, evening times or whatever it is. Yep. And yet it's not always obvious to people, right? Mm. Like we, we, when I say people, I mean, I'm just talking about myself here or people that I come across, you just kind of let the flow of life take you and family becomes an afterthought. Right now, what, what could you say to people other than just saying, okay, be more intentional because obviously the environment that you're around matters, you know, yep. what your influences are. Yep. Does the community that you are a part of, do you feel like you're aligned with this or do you guys feel like an anomaly when it comes to your family values and the intentionality that you put into it? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're fairly aligned. Um, I would say in general, the, the norm is to kind of have, uh, the ideal of, um, you know, the, the father supporting the household, the mother kind of really cultivating a home culture, you know, when he's away and, uh, family dinners and, you know, openness to, to life, to many children, you know, this is all part of, part of, um, part of the culture of the community that we're in. I would also say though, at the same time that, you know, every family is different. So it's not like it's going to manifest in, in the same way. Sure. And so, um, to a large degree, you know, you kind of have to, you, once you make the decision to be 
radically intentional, that's, that's going to look a little bit different. Sure. And so you can't necessarily rely on outside pressure to basically make you do that. That being said, I think that, you know, the more that we talk about this and the more that we recognize that we're being pulled in so many different directions in, in contemporary life with the distractions that are in front of us, I think more and more people are recognizing that, okay, it is better to not have a long commute. It is better to uh, get rid of the smartphone. It is better to limit screen time. It is better to have family dinners. This is just more fulfilling as you have more children and as your, your life progresses your family life is going to be kind of that that center. And if you if you let yourself get involved in a ton of different things and get distracted by a ton of different things, then it's gonna go by the wayside. And so, you know, I, I guess in general, I just think that the kind of ideal of what family life is and was in the last 50, 60, 70 years, really just, it cuts against that. And, um, you know, I, I, I see people all the time where, They've signed their children up for multiple sports programs and extracurriculars and school things and various other things. And it's like, you're now no longer even creating a family culture at all. You're, you're doing what you think you should do for the sake of your children. You're signing them up for various things. But you know what they really need is that stability and intentionality of the home life being really solid. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And yet, that's not what's promoted in culture and society you have to right. be so intentional to protect that family time and i'm wondering how this has looked for you over the last say you know i mean your oldest is 16 so i could really just say you know the last 16 years because i feel like katie and i once you said i think you made the the statement once you decide to be radically intentional intentional yeah which is a great thing to decide right like right. I, I feel like okay well let's start with that let's make the decision right to be radically intentional with our family and with our children and then baked into that means that, like, okay, we should assume this is not going to come naturally, right? This isn't going right. to come e easily, and it's not no. going to even be common. Meaning, like, it might not even, you mentioned this at the beginning, this might not even be aligned with the values of our church. Correct. At the beginning. How did you start implementing these things? Was it all at once? Because I think it would be overwhelming as a parent to say, okay, no smartphones, breakfast with my kids live close to you know my job i can't do all that right is there a way to just kind of like start taking baby yeah, steps i mean i certainly didn't have the ideal situation where i could walk to my office when i was first married i was even when even to the point that we moved here i was still commuting 45 minutes each way to work well wow. um so um but you know knowing that knowing that you could do certain things i think uh is a big deal now for somebody for me obviously we, you know we never allowed a lot of those things in the first place like smartphones for okay. example but I would just say to parents who do have teens or young young kids with smartphones, you know, um, it's it's kind of imperative that they that they actually uh, you know make that happen where they don't have access to that. I mean, I think that's like pretty much of all the things we just talked about, that's like the number one thing they could do right now. And if they're in a school community where that's just common, get them out of there. Well. Yes. I mean, there's no, there's no easy way to do this. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I'll drive around and I don't want to throw ministries under the bus, but I'll listen to different radio programs and parents will call in with this pleading heart. They're saying, Hey, my kid's addicted to pornography or I found their phone. They're doing this, this, and this, or this is the stuff they're looking at, or their friends are saying this and the, the kids at school are doing this. And it never enters the mind of the, the 
expert, whatever, giving the advice to get them out of the situation. It's an emergency operation. Exactly. It's it's a hundred percent treating the symptom. Yep. It's not at all saying, okay, well, let's back it up and look at the cause. Are there times where we need to, out of emergency, treat the symptom? Of course, right. that comes up in life, right? right? We need to treat the symptom. Right. But with your children, why would you not back way up and say, oh, okay. Yeah. Get to the root of this. Right. Exactly. And, and, and the root, you know, you could go back for, okay, well, it is sin, but boy, are you giving provision for the flesh big time, which the Bible tells us not to do. Say, yeah, hey, do the, not give provision for the flesh. The analogy or the, you know, what I like to say is that, you know, if you, if you had a, um, a group, say you had a, a group of young men who were renting a house together, you know, having everyone having us unrestricted access to smartphones and say they're all young, you know, 18, 19, yeah. 20 year old men, that would be kind of like having a prostitute in the closet yes. and expecting them to just be like, oh yeah, you're, you know, you guys should be able to resist. Yes. So I, yeah. I just think it's unreasonable given human nature. hundred percent agree. And I think it's not, I love hearing people do things when people do things, you know, you said radical intentionality brings forth a different looking life. Right. And I don't even realize my limiting beliefs. Actually, nobody realizes their limiting beliefs until they're challenged or that sure. you're seeing that there's an alternative right. to them. And I think there are many parents that don't actually look at no smartphone as an option. Right. And a lot of times baby parents are scared to be the bad guy for whatever a week or a year or whatever, however long you're the bad guy for, but boy, is it worth like, yeah, be the bad guy. That's you what know. true love is oftentimes. Amen. And likewise with, with the school situation, I, I'm thinking, okay, I've seen so many parents do that. I look up to do, I shouldn't say so many. There's a handful of parents that I really admire that have done, and they're all radical. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, this group of friends, I got to get them out. Okay. There's still this environment. Okay. I'm going to move. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to change jobs. Okay. I'm going to whatever, get them off the sports team. I'm going to right. do these things that culture says, Oh, you got to finish the season or at least let them finish the grade, right? Let them get through sixth grade and then you can change schools. It's like, you don't do that with this type of stuff. No. Like you don't mess around with it. It's like, no, now right. like you're letting the coach down. You're letting the teacher down. You're letting the youth group leader down. Okay, you're safe. We're talking yeah. about your child's... Your eternal soul, their child's eternal soul is a little bit more important than that. Amen. And and the, the... Yeah, anyway, so I could go on and on with this, but thanks for bringing that up because I love the whole preface of, okay, if we want radically different results than right. the status quo, we've got to assume this is going to look radically different. However, not getting overwhelmed with that and saying, let's take baby steps, but some of these baby steps might be just the lowest hanging fruit, which is... Get rid of the smartphone. I mean, people know we're we're pro, especially with our kiddos. You know, I like not yeah, not having the smartphones in our home. You look at the rates of teen depression and suicide, and you know, dysmorphia and everything associated with you know mental and spiritual health, and it's all it all goes back to that access to the smartphone, social media, and I think that people are going to look back at this era and say, "Wow, I can't believe." We allowed unrestricted access like like that to to smartphones. Yes, and and yet you're raising very capable children that are going to engage in culture at a high level, and I want to do the same with my kiddos. Right. And and what's not necessary is social media or a smartphone. That's not necessary. No, like it's just not it's not a necessary component to being highly effective, right? Highly functioning in in this world. 
All right. Well, that's, I, I tell you what, I like hearing that probably, probably got a little too fired up about that. <laughs> uh, but, but I do admire that when it comes to being engaged with your community, you know, you talked about wanting to have an impact in your community, sure. but yet still protecting the, the home. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, what it looks like is, I mean, I, I want to do as, as much as I can to create a culture of, um, robust cultural and economic institutions that support the way of life that we're talking about. Cause all, as, as important as the family is, you can't do that alone. And ultimately you do need, uh, bigger things to engage with and be a part of, you know, starts with your, your parish or your church community as well. But then it goes beyond that. It goes to locally owned businesses and who are you going to be able to employ, you know, of your, your community's children as they, as they grow older, it, it, uh, extends to cultural institutions. What is that going to look like in terms of art and music and, you know, all the things that can really enliven our culture. And, you know, uh, a lot of this is out of a motivation to do two things. One, to make our children want to stay near us and really think that there's a depth to our, where we live and our culture and, you know, the things, the options that they have here that are all good options. And then number two is to paint an alternative vision of society and culture that is not so dominated by uh, the secular uh, left, because really they, they care about institutions a lot. They care about, you know, producing content and art and that sort of, all that sort of stuff. They care about uh, controlling corporations. They care about owned space. Um, and so us, you know, kind of going on the offensive and actually creating our own own spaces and actually creating a positive vision of what a thoroughly Christian informed culture at all its different levels could look like, yeah. uh, I think is really important. I love that vision. And, you know, this is a, uh, something that, again, everybody's got different backgrounds with their theology and the way they've been taught different things and so grateful for my upbringing, but I don't know if it was, um, an eschatology, you know, the eschatology viewpoint that we were brought up with what it was, but this whole concept of, um, maybe it's even been called pietism, you know, that, mm. that just, um, the only thing that matters is, is the spiritual person almost, you know, kind of like, right. hey, and of course, eternity is of the utmost importance and, of course. The, and, and the gospel, man, it's the power of God unto salvation. Right. So then the, amen. Like right. that is the, that is the greatest thing on a, ever. Right. But we don't all receive Christ. Um, you know, we're not, we're not the thief on the cross. Right. It's like, okay, you're saved. And then you died the second later. Right. You know, I mean, Lord willing, we're Christians from a young age Absolutely. walking with him. And what, what, what does that life look like? Yeah. To me, the analogy is, okay, going back to the family, family culture, being radically intentional about the family creating a great environment of culture, Christian culture in your family. What if instead the father, the mother just thought, I'm just going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to evangelize. And oh, my, my kids, you know, oh, the, the quality of the, the, the cooking. Oh, the, the home, the environment. Oh, I'm not going to pay attention to that. To me, that's the same thing that's going on, but one level up to the level of the community and to society when people say, oh, what goes on out there? I don't, I don't care about that. I'm, mm. I know I'm saved. No, we need wow. to create an environment that is actually promoting the salvation of others through the exposure to all the good 
gifts of this world which can be sanctified by the truth of the gospel and by God's grace. So that's possible in the family. We know that. We've been talking about it for a long, for, you know, this whole episode. That can also be done at the level of the society. I love you bringing that example up because I don't know if anybody would argue with the value of being intentional in the context of the home. Right. Uh, Maybe people would, but the point, I don't think our listeners would, I should say, you know, they say, no, what are you talking about? Discipling your children, creating an environment where they're eating a good meal. They're, you know, wearing clean clothes. They have good, you know, right. Work ethic. They've got, they've got, our house is ran by good moral principles. Right. One might even say Christian principles, you know, things that are based off of God's word. We see that being a healthy thing. Right. We don't say, oh, we don't want them to become uh, legalistic in their behavior, <laughs> thinking that their morality is going to save them. No, we, we teach them God's law That's right. from a young age. We teach them honesty. Right. You know, we, we teach them that lying is sinful and wrong. Yep. Not, and, and do we hope that they come to a saving knowledge of their need for God's grace? I, absolutely. We want to do that. But we don't use that as a reason to say it doesn't it do, actually doesn't matter your right. work ethic it doesn't matter right. the quality of your practice or the quality of your homework the quality of anything that you're doing you said we'll, we'll just take that same principle literally across the street like you don't even have to go far like okay step right. outside the door and take that across the street that's right is it better when the business owner is a christian that has christian values and morals i think it is yeah I think it's better when I'm absolutely. working for a Christian boss. Absolutely. Or or if your your local laws conform to the natural law, or if your neighborhoods are designed in a beautiful way that elevates the mind to God, you know, all of this stuff can be put under that umbrella. Yeah. And so again, going, I mean, I think of, I've got family members that have devoted their life towards missions overseas in Africa and then in South America, two different cousins. Um, and it's interesting how the, the gospel's going forth, praise the Lord. Um, but you know what also always needs to happen when they go to these third world and depraved cultures is just common infrastructure. That's right. They say, well, we need some clean, okay, it's really hard. We need some clean water. We need some buildings. That's right. We need clothing. Everybody's walking around, you know, not fully dressed. What do they do? They start implementing values right. and morals, right. not because that's what saves people, no, but it's a part of life. Just, it's just the foundational elements of society that, that need yes. to be there. Yes, so. that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't want to take any more of your time. Skylar, how can people find you or, you know, what any parting words? You know, you brought me a book. I, I mean, I'm really excited about this. Any <laughs> reading recommendations for people to kind of start wrapping their mind around, you know, this vision? Because it, 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 it comes off your tongue like it's so obvious. Right. But this is stuff that's not obvious to me. It's not obvious to... I'd say the average Christian. So where can yeah. people start and kind of starting to wrap their mind around a family vision? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, this is a book that, that I, that I think is actually very helpful in terms of, um, in terms of understanding the nature of, um, marriage and family. And there's a lot of confusion at the, out there. So this is a very natural law based. What is a family? What does it mean? What does sex relations mean between mm-hmm. husband and wife? And it's uh, called understanding marriage and family by Sebastian Walsh. Okay. So this is a great one. Um, as far as um, stuff about the household economy, it's really fascinating to look at what our history was with respect to that. And the works of, of uh, Alan Carlson, who is a Lutheran 
um, sociologist and historian have been very helpful uh, for me in that in that mm. regard. Just mm. just look up Alan Carlson. Um, great stuff on the the history of the American family and and what it looked like in the past and what communities looked like in the past and mm. and how that's just radically changed. And it kind of gives you a vision of okay, what could a social and familial um, return to that really look like? So I'll just kind of leave it at those two and love it. You know, yeah, I don't want to overwhelm yeah. listeners or myself for that matter. Again, Skylar, thank you so much. Uh, I'll link anywhere people can find you. You know, whether that's LinkedIn and Anything yeah, like LinkedIn that. is my primarily just a professional profile, yes. so I don't have a huge uh, social media presence. I try to, you know, uh, limit my time on there. But um, you know, I do have a Twitter account too. So people, if they want to DM me on there, you know, if, if they've listened to this podcast, happy to happy to chat with them as well uh, on there. So those are the two two I have. So, awesome. Thank yeah. you so much, Skylar. Thanks. Uh-huh.